Good to see you guys. This place is full today. Shouldn't you be somewhere in July? Not here. I don't know when it first was that you discovered real music. Not nursery rhymes, I mean real music. Like you heard a song, a single on the radio, maybe you, someone gave you a cassette tape. Maybe for some of you, someone gave you an eight-track tape. Or someone shared a playlist with you. Or maybe it was your first concert. I went to Charlie Pride with my parents. I know, exactly. Who is that? But I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was transformational for you. My, my first real discovery of music was the Bee Gees. I know. It's the Bee Gees, and I can still sing all the lyrics of the Bee Gees when they come on, and it's, it's, it's Price Susan. But then in the 80s, because those were my high school years, I spent a lot of time with all those hair bands, you know, Duran, Duran, and, and, and Def Leppard. And if we weren't in church, I would tell you that I was influenced greatly by the pro- prophetic Christian worship band ACDC as a kid. And some of you, maybe you were... Um, influence like the music you recognize right off the bat was that angsty nirvana type music or maybe it was the pickup truck music of Kenny Chesney or maybe today you're influenced by the intense music of of Kendrick and Drake I was asking my barber Dwight he's awesome this week I was saying hey I'm gonna talk about music I said what kind of music he said he talks really deep like that he said I like neo soul you should listen to it So this entire message was created while listening to Neo Soul on Spotify. And music does that to us. It it has the ability to really transport us as well. You can be walking through a store or through a restaurant and you hear a song playing in the background. And what happens? You're immediately transported back to a significant moment in your life. And maybe even those emotions come rushing back when you hear that particular tune. It's just so significant to us. I remember in seventh grade, the first dance I went to with Amy Larson, just straight arms like this, an air supply came on and we just stood there. We moved. I wonder what Amy's doing today. I'm just kidding. But when you hear particular music, it takes you back and it connects you to those moments. It's amazing. Most of you can't even remember your password for your email. But if you hear a song that you haven't heard for 15 years, the lyrics will suddenly come rushing back to you. It's, it's just really crazy. In so many ways, music is the marker of our life moments. Music marks so many moments for us. And in the Psalms, it marks the key moments of David's life. Over the last few weeks, we've been digging into these Psalms. We've been looking at them, and we've really been unpacking their significance. But I think it's important as we dive deeper into this to understand where the songs sit in context. And here's what's true. They weren't just Psalms or songs. They were written in the midst of a specific time or place. And they were forged from specific experiences and emotions that David had. He didn't just sit down and say, well, it's Tuesday. I'm going to write a psalm. He didn't do that. They resulted from his wrestling and his worship of God. They they resulted from the experiences of his life, the peaks 
and the pits that he experienced. So when we hear them, when we read them, these psalms are best experienced in the context of where the writer specifically was, what they were feeling, and what happened to them to bring those words out in the open. But it's powerful because 3,000 years or so later, they are still resonating in our souls. So we're going to jump into Psalm 142 today. And so if you want to find it on your, on your app or on your smartphone or on the smartphone or on the Bible that you have in front of you, as you're doing that, I want to welcome, as we do every week, those of you that are watching online or you're at our campus or you're one of our microsite locations. We love the power of technology. We think the best experience is if you can be in community and be here sitting in a seat at one of our campuses. But if you can't do that and you have to catch up, you can watch online. And many of you know all of our, all of our weekends are what we call on demand. So after the 6 o'clock tonight if you happen to miss a weekend you can go back and you can catch up so if you've missed any of this playlist series we'd strongly encourage you to go back and catch up so that you're up to date last week Nate did a great job we looked at probably David's most famous psalm psalm 23 and psalm 23 it leaves us sort of feeling hopeful it comforts us maybe it makes our soul sort of sore it's amazing the psalm we're going to look at today is slightly different This one is more of a ballad. It's kind of soulful, bluesy, neo-soul. Because David is conflicted. And more than conflicted, he is complaining. He's straight out having words with God. Okay, and some of you may not admit it. That's okay. But you've had these moments. You've had Psalm 142 moments. It may be in your car sitting at a stoplight where you are communicating strongly and aggressively with God, and the person next to you wonders what is happening, right? Maybe it's in the shower. Maybe it's some other place where you feel like you're alone and you can just communicate. This is David's psalm. Here, I'm going to read the entire psalm to you, and then we're going to look a little deeper into it, all right? So here we go. Here's what he says. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. Good with that. I pour out before him... My complaint before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. Then he starts to describe his way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. Pay attention, God. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. Remember that word. We're going to come back to it. No one. These are strong right here. It's like fired up. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. And then he appeals to God. He says, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. We get real when we're desperate. I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who are pursuing me, for they are too strong for me. I'm being pursued, so rescue me from that. And then set me free from my prison, the stuff that I've done, the decisions I've made that got me to this spot, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. When we started reading this, You may have found yourself reacting like I did, wanting to tell David, like, whoa, 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 slow down, big boy, right? Calm down a little bit. This isn't the way that we are supposed to approach God. 
You're not allowed to do this. Now we hear verse 1 where he asked God for mercy and we're like, we're cool. We get that. But then in verse 2, we get a little surprised and maybe a little bit shocked when he says, I pour out before you my complaint. I tell you my trouble. At this point, we want to pull David aside and say, hey, listen, remember the other stuff you wrote? Like, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I will bless the Lord at all times. My praise will continually be in my mouth. David did write all those things, and he meant them, but he also meant this. Because we've reached a moment in David's life where he has literally had enough, and he's going to make sure that God knew that. Now, the Old Testament scholars tell us that there are different types of psalms. There's some that we've listened to or read that are wisdom, some are praise, and so on. This particular psalm is part of a group, a large group. There's more of these than you may think, called the Songs of Lament. Songs of Lament. Many of them, this is where somebody just gets real, and they start letting God know exactly how they feel in the moment. Now, some of you, complaining is a spiritual gift, so you're good at this, and you, you, you get this. You do it naturally. But some of us, we feel a bit more uncomfortable when we read these words. Maybe when we grew up, we first encountered Christ, we were kind of taught that there's one way to come to God in this right way, or we can't come to him at all. And you were taught maybe to pray like these amazing, eloquent prayers like, Oh God of Nero and the deep sea and Dory and Nemo and, you know, the sky and the blue. And all. You, you were taught like that's the way that we have to pray. And you prayed them well, but they were largely dishonest and way too often ineffective prayers. And maybe a lot of us, we actually don't pray and don't worship and don't enter the presence of God in, in, where he can actually deal with us with what is going on in our heart because we're afraid of what might happen if we were honest with God with our words. Maybe today, the word we need to hear is honesty. Like, get real. Be transparent. Perhaps it stems from something that we were taught or experienced as kids. My dad used to say something that you're probably familiar with. When I would start crying about something, he would say this. He would say, stop that crying or I'll... You all had an abusive father like I did. <laughs> stop that crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Maybe I'm afraid if I do complain to God, he may give me something to actually cry about. I'm sometimes afraid. I mean, just vulnerable, vulnerable today. I'm sometimes afraid to pray to God and tell him, I'm not feeling very confident today. Sometimes afraid to pray to God and tell him, I'm feeling pretty alone and pretty vulnerable today. I'm sometimes afraid to pray and tell him, I feel like what I signed up for with this Jesus thing is not really working out the way I was told. Sometimes I just want to pray to God and tell him, I'm not feeling any faith today. I'm not feeling like an awesome parent today. I'm not real proud of how I responded to that situation or that decision that I made today. And sometimes I'm afraid to tell God, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian today. But if we don't learn how to pour out our complaints in his presence, they will pour out somewhere else. Just get on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about. I know it's much more fun. But David gives us this amazing permission 
to start approaching God from where we truly are. And if David is, as we are told, a man after God's own heart, and he can do this, so can I, and so can you. Now, there's something we get in Psalm 142 that we don't get anywhere else. It's a superscription, and it tells us the story behind the music. You see, because, as I said, the Psalms are written, many of them, in context with what was happening to David. So if we really wanted to rework the way the Bible was ordered up a bit, we would do 1 Samuel 22, and accompanying that would be Psalms 142. Right? Because there's this superscription on top of Psalms 142 that says this. A masculine of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. He wrote this when he was in a cave. Over the past few weeks, all of us, we've been watching this drama that played out with these young boys and their coach. This soccer team that found themselves three miles deep in a cave in Thailand. And we watched as experts Amazing people from around the world strategized of how to get them out of this cave that was dark and lacking oxygen and filling with water. We even saw, unfortunately, one Navy SEAL who lost his life in the midst of that pursuit. And we cheered over the past few days when one by one we saw them emerge from the cave to safety. People get lost in caves very easily, even by no fault of their own. Because a cave is a dark a lonely and a deserted place. And David is writing this psalm from a cave. And the acoustics in this cave are awesome. It's like when you're singing in the shower. And you are good. Like you're really freaking good. Like you're like, I should probably go on the voice. I'm that good. Because the acoustics in the shower make everything. Well, David's in this cave. And so when he begins to complain, when he begins to express himself, the acoustics are good. And so he's expressing himself very, very well. He's telling God what's up. He's letting God know that he's had enough. And some of our best expressions of our relationship with God will be born in these cave moments. Not when we are necessarily celebrating, but maybe when we are sitting in despair. That's when some of the best expression of what's going on with us will come out. And God is in that depressed place. God is in that darkness. God is even in the cave. Now, David is expressing himself, and he's taking advantage of these cave acoustics because of two main complaints that he has in his life. Here they are, and then we'll talk about each one. The first one is he's confused about his calling. And secondly, he's convinced that no one cares. Here's why, he, here's why he's confused. We know David as a giant killer. And he's now been anointed and he is assumed to be the future king. However, his future king, his calling there is much different than his current circumstances. Remember, music always takes place, specific time and place and emotion. So where was David when he was writing these words? They tell us, not in a castle, not in a palace, but in a cave. And 1 Samuel 22 is actually where we see the story that led to this song or psalm. We read in verse 1 where specifically David was out. That's why the Bible's awesome, right? Here's what it says. It said, David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. He left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now remember, David's story starts 
with a string of successes. We're going to be looking at David's story at a deeper level come this fall. But he starts as he's anointed king. All the brothers come around and the prophet Samuel anoints him as the future king. And then he goes out and he, and he kills Goliath and he's a hero. And King Saul takes him under his wing and the armies love him. And all the people write songs about him. But his path to this cave started when his life literally flashed before his eyes. He's sitting there with King Saul and King Saul is starting to get jealous and his temper is starting to rain. And so we read that he throws the spear and at the last minute David gets out of the way and he has to run for his life. He has to escape this death threat eventually by being let down by, out of a window by his wife who would eventually be given in marriage to another man while David was out running, which is strange marriage customs. He flees into the light. He eludes all the soldiers of Saul who were dispatched to capture and kill him. For a time, he literally is just hiding out in a field near Jerusalem. Eventually, he suffers the humiliation of seeking, um, seeking protection in this place called Gath. You know what's special about Gath? This week, you should research and read what's special about Gath. You should do that. You don't have to do that. I did that for you. Here's what I found out. Gath is where Goliath is from. How humiliating. That David actually had to escape and he had to run to Gath, the same place where he had one of his greatest victories. God is so strange sometimes what he moves us through. He can't stay with Saul because Saul wants to kill him. It's where he belongs, but he can't stay there. He can't stay with his enemies because he's fighting against those, obviously. David is now a man who doesn't fit. He is now a man without a home. By the way, have you ever felt like you don't fit anywhere? You ever felt like you don't fit where you came from? You don't fit where you're going? Maybe you're too churchy to be worldly and you're a little too worldly to fit in some churches. I hear you. David felt like he was a missing fit and he voiced it. He's supposed to be this king and he's stuck in a cave. Sometimes we just don't feel like blessing the Lord at all times. He's confused about his calling. And secondly, he's convinced that no one cared. No one cared. I mean, he wasn't, don't get me wrong, he wasn't expecting some easy ride to the throne. Anytime there's a change in kings, it gets rough. He wasn't expecting no battles, but he was at least expecting that the people who God had called him to serve would have his back. But in verse 4 of our psalm, he literally says, no one cares for my life. He looks around this cave of Adullam and says, I'm not surprised by those who are trying to kill me, I'm, I'm surprised that no one surrounding me seems to care about me. That's real life sometimes for all of us, isn't it? That's what parenting is like. Huh. That's what faith is like sometimes. Those of you that are in leadership, that's what leadership is like sometimes. He's in this stronghold and he's looking for a support system. He's looking for someone to be there. Oh, his, if you read the story in 20, Samuel 22, his family shows up. It's the same family who didn't even bother to push him out there when Samuel was looking to anoint him. This is the same family when he came to fight Goliath said, go away. And now they need a little protection because they're kind of on the run too. So they come and they're, they're there. And remember, he didn't say no one came. He said no one cares. You're not David. I'm not David. But we can relate. I mean, come on. It's not that you're not getting any text. It's just that all the texts you get are very transactional in nature. It's not that you're all by yourself. You can be in a crowd even like today. 
But as you sit in crowded places like this, you feel all alone. And sometimes we think no one cares. Now, perhaps you're in a cave right now. You're playing Neo Soul on your Spotify. Desperate music sitting at the top of your playlist. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's something that happened to you. It's financial pressure. Maybe it's something that other people caused. Maybe your family's dreams seem to be in this stage right now that's shattered. Maybe you're a, you're a young person, you're a student, and you're looking forward, and it looks really cloudy and confusing. Maybe you've recently lost a mentor or a friend or a close relationship. Maybe your health. Maybe physically you feel like you're in a cave. Or maybe you simply find yourself alone. And listen, if you go, nah, that's not me. I'm good. What's for lunch? If you're not in a cave right now, wait a while. You will be. Nobody plans on being there. But sooner or later, all of us will log some time in there. And when you do, and when you need to know, I want you to grab a hold of this thought. The cave is where God does some of his best work. The cave is where we sometimes have to go to get introduced, or for a lot of us, to get reintroduced to God. God does some of his best work in caves. That's why David said in verse 5 in the psalm, he said, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my what? Refuge. My portion in the land of the living, I li you listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. David got reacquainted with God, and he discovered that in the midst of everything, when he felt like his calling was confusing, when he was sure that no one cared, that God was his refuge. And it's interesting. The primary use of the word refuge throughout the Old Testament, because it's not just used here, even though over 42 times we find it used in the Psalms, is in reference to what, they, what was known as cities of refuge. These were six cities that were safe havens, catch this, for anyone who had accidentally killed someone. And they had to flee from that experience. If they got to those cities, they had refuge. And the avenger who wanted to come, they were safe from that person. And what makes it an interesting idea is when we picture God as a refuge, a refuge is a place to flee when one is pursued. So if we're being pursued by life, by stuff, by moments where we need refuge, that's where God comes in and sometimes it takes the form of a cave the picture of God in the Psalms the picture of God in the Old Testament is he is this hiding place this stronghold this refuge in time of trouble in the Psalms David even uses the term again in Psalm 34 he says this taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the one who takes refuge in him Sometimes it's good when all the props and all the support of our life are gone, you discover that God is enough, that he is our refuge. Sometimes when your worst fears are actually confirmed, yay, when our inadequacies are right there in front of us, you discover God is enough. He is our refuge. And David discovered in this refuge that not only was God there, but he actually was not as alone as he thought he was. God provided some support to David in this strange place, but in a very strange and surprising way. Back in 1 Samuel 22, let's listen to who, who God sent to David. It's quite the crew. Here he is. All of those, triple D, who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around. Yay. 
I'm in a cave. I'm feeling lack of support. So God says, you need support? I'll give you some support. Let me give you some people that I would call EGRs. Extra grace required. Okay? You all have them in your life. They may be sitting next to you right now. Okay? Don't look. Don't look. That's these folks. Then they got crisis. They're in distress. They're bankrupt. Right? Or they're whiny. Right? They're discontented. They're upset. They're whining all the time. These are the people. and And David became their commander. And about 400 men were with him. Listen, this may not sound like much, but there are some things that come together in the cave. When you get alone, when you're desperate, when you feel alone, and you finally say, okay, God, I need you. And these would be the men, this motley crew, who would be alongside David as he ascended, as he fought those battles, and he ascended to the throne. He discovered through these men, as we read the story ongoing, true support. And he renews his strength and he resets his purpose. God was his refuge. He was not alone. And then the moment came when it was time for David to actually leave the cave. To leave the cave. It was time for him to move. Remember, David had been on the run. He had been pursued, and he had escaped to this location. It was an appropriate place because he needed a point where he could stop and hide. And some of you have experienced that. You've gotten yourself kind of into a safe place. You needed to regroup. You had something happen. You needed to breathe. You needed to take a breather. But here's my warning to you, and I think God has the same warning to David. The place where we feel like is the most safe may also be where we become the most stuck. The cave can be a place for a season that holds you and hides you and you feel that refuge of God. But eventually, it's time to move. The cave is not a permanent position that God wants to have you in or we become cave dwellers. So here's what God did. He sent a voice, a mouthpiece. He sent to him the prophet Gad. And here's what the prophet Gad said to David. He said, listen, let's go. He said, do not stay in the stronghold. Bro, you've been here long enough. You're surrounded now. You've regrouped a little bit. Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. He says, if you stay in this cave, David, you won't be able to save people. You won't be able to do the exact things that God has called you to do if you just sit here. You've got to move. Actually, we'll, we, we learn later that David had a battle to fight in the land of Judah that he couldn't see yet. And when God had gathered those 400 guys around him, he had an army who was his tightest and and closest friends. And he didn't see that quite yet. He couldn't see it because he was in the cave and he had to get out of the stronghold. Now listen, some of you are in the cave in this moment. I've been there. Here's what I want to warn you about. That cave you're sitting in today can become a mentality. Sit here for a second on that. It can become a mentality. There are moments where life puts us in a cave. There are moments where we choose to step into a cave for a a bit. But it can become a mentality where woe is me, I can't move, nothing goes right, God God isn't here, I have no support. You can do the complaint thing. You can do the Psalm 142 thing. God's cool with that. And when you're done, God says go. You got it all out of you? Great. It's time for us to move forward. And the prophet comes and tells David those words. He says, get to Judah. 
If you find yourself in a cave today, the most destructive thing you can do is nothing. I want to encourage you, take a step out of the cave. I think God's kind of wired us and made us in such a way that a single step of action will begin a process of transformation in us. And the prophet said, you have to go to Judah as quick as you can get there. And I learned this week that the word Judah actually means praise. So when David tells God he has to get out of the cave so he can give him praise, remember back in the psalm, God says exactly, you need to get out of the cave because you got to get to Judah because Judah means praise. And that's where you're going to praise is when you get back busy. You start doing what you're supposed to be doing. You start living out the purpose that I gave you. Get out of the cave. You have to step out of your feelings, your circumstances. That's how David ends his psalm. He says this, remember? He says, set me free from my prison that I may praise. Get to Judah, get to Judah, get to Judah. I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather around me because of you, because of your goodness to me. I don't know what Judah is for you. I don't know. I don't know what your post-cave destination is. But I would encourage you today, if you're hearing God say, get to Judah, get to Judah, that you need to take that first step out of the cave. Stop sitting around. Make a move. Because it's time for us to remember, the cave is where God does some of his best work. It's awesome. Now, I've spent some time in a cave. Some of you have, have experienced that same kind of cave, the cave that's really dark. You know, it's that dark cloud that comes over you, that cloud of discouragement that leads to a place of even greater darkness of depression. For me, my cave during that period of my life was a walk-in closet. Because I would get up in the morning and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'd walk into the closet and I'd try to get dressed and I'd end up face down on the carpet. Like, nah, I don't think I want to do life today. And it became this cave. Some of you understand that emotion and that darkness. Parker Palmer is a writer, an author, a theologian. I've kind of been having a bromance with him lately. It's okay. <laughs> and I've been reading some of his work. And, and one of the things that I like reading him is that he, he, he's had periods in the cave. He's had two or three strong life moments where he had to experience the cave. And in one of those periods, he shares a poem he wrote where he was struggling to move to Judah, where he was struggling to move forward in his life. And he titled the poem Harrowing. Harrowing is kind of a, has a double meaning. So I used it. Harrowing is like, oh, it's scary. And harrowing is also a, a method they use in farming. After they've plowed the fields and they have these big, a lot of that big dirt left, they will harrow the fields, which will smooth it out and prepare it for planting. So he wrote this poem. And I wanted to speak to your heart today as you begin the process of moving to Judah. Here's, here's what he said. He said, the plow has savaged this sweet field, misshapen clods of earth kicked up, rocks and twisted roots exposed to view. Last year's growth demolished by the blade. I have plowed my life this way, turned over a whole history, looking for the roots of what went wrong until my face is ravaged and furrowed and scarred. Enough. Enough. The job is done. Whatever's been uprooted, let it be. Seedbed for the growing that is to come. 
I plowed to unearth last year's reasons that the farmer plows to plant the greening season. The most important sentence is one word that I want to leave you with today in that poem, and it's the one word, enough. Today, if you've been in a place that doesn't let you breathe, a cave that doesn't let you breathe, the fresh air of God's grace, if you are recycling over and over again pain and sadness and, and despair and stagnation, it's time to get to Judah and to say enough, enough. I can live my life as a process of ravages and scars. I can stay in a cave and I can linger too long. Life is harrowing and it makes us feel better sometimes. Or I can say enough and I can choose to leave yesterday as sort of a foundation of a new crop, a new experience, God's grace that's going to play out in my life. And I would encourage you today, it's time to place our faith in the refuge of God and move from the darkness of the cave into a new greening season where God can grow us and stretch us as we move forward towards Judah. Let me pray for you today. Father, we just pray right now in this moment with our eyes closed and our hearts intent and laser focused on you, that you would just do an incredible work in us. God, that you would work in hearts that are feeling it right now, that we would sit and soak it up. God, if there are complaints that need to be made, help us to say them. Help us to express it. Help us to get real and, and transparent and vulnerable with you. God, if there are caves we've been sitting in and we feel that conviction that it's time to move, may we move. God, I pray that in this room and as people watch online, that movement would happen from the cave to that place of new growth and new grace. We say enough today. And we walk confidently in that. We ask it in your name. Amen.